In our current series, True Crimes, Bible Edition 2, we're investigating 10 additional crimes in the Bible. We're exploring the who, what, and why of each crime, but more importantly, we want to learn how the Lord God responded to each of these crimes, as well as what we can learn from them. But first, let me just say thank you to all of you for listening to Bible Threads and our other great content from timeofgrace.org. Check out our video teaching and the other seven podcasts. Go to our store at timeofgrace.org and take a look at our books, devotionals, Bible studies, and journals that address hundreds of different topics, all designed to help you grow in your faith, to strengthen your relationship with Jesus, and to empower you to serve others. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Recall that in our first three episodes of this series, we're investigating crimes committed by members of the Patriarch Jacob's family. In our last episode, we explored the crime committed against Jacob's only daughter, Dinah, as well as the crimes committed by Jacob's sons in retaliation for what had been done to Dinah. It was a sad and sordid ordeal. In today's episode, we're investigating another crime committed by Jacob's sons. This crime was committed by the ten oldest sons against their brother Joseph, the second youngest. And their crime? Human trafficking. Jesus once said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Every crime has its origins in the human heart. So in the case of the crime committed against Joseph, we want to determine what had taken up residence in the hearts of the brothers and where it had come from. These are two important questions we want to answer. In our last episode, Jacob was with his sons in the area around Shechem, located pretty much dead center in the land of Canaan. That's where the family owned pasture land for grazing their herds and flocks. When we get to Genesis chapter 37, Jacob's and Esau's father Isaac had died. Jacob and Esau both returned to the family homestead in Hebron to bury their father. Hebron was located in the south, about 50 miles straight south of Shechem and 24 miles south of Jerusalem. And just outside of Hebron, Jacob's grandfather, who was Abraham, had bought some real estate, specifically a field in which there was a cave. In that cave, Abraham had buried his wife Sarah. Abraham would also be buried there when he died 
And now Isaac would be too. By the way, did you know that if you go to Israel today, you can tour this cave? It's known as the Cave of the Patriarchs. Anyway, after the funeral, Jacob remained in Hebron, and that's where we pick up our story. Genesis chapter 37 begins, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and the sons of Zopah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, there's more significance to the phrase, this is the account of. You see, the book of Genesis is divided into sections by generations of people. The Hebrew word to describe these generations is toledoth. Each toledoth focused on certain descendants of a certain patriarch. In Genesis, for example, there's a toledoth of Adam, a toledoth of Noah, a toledoth not of Abraham, but rather Abraham's father, Terah. There's also a toledoth of Isaac, and now one of Jacob. The toledoth of Jacob focused primarily on his son Joseph, who was born to him by his wife Rachel, whom Jacob loved dearly. Back to the story. Did you catch what Joseph did to his brothers? He tattled on them to daddy. We aren't told what the brothers did, but whatever it was, this 17-year-old teenager reported it back to his father. You know, we said earlier that we wanted to investigate what might have contributed to the hateful and jealous attitudes of the brothers' hearts. Mark Joseph's tattling as Exhibit A. Now Israel, the God-given name of Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. The brothers knew that their father loved Joseph more than any of them. The evidence was clear. Jacob gave Joseph an ornate robe. None of the other brothers had one, just Joseph. So what's an ornate robe? Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber described this ornate robe as an amazing technicolor dream coat in their musical production titled Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Coat. But this ornate robe might not have had anything to do with color. So where did the idea of it referring to color come from? Well, it goes back to the 1600s with the translation of the King James Version of the Bible. The King James translates ornate robe as a coat of many colors. There you have it. Actually, the Hebrew word translated as ornate robe is a bit vague. However, there are two concepts connected with this Hebrew word. One is the flat of a hand or foot. Well, what's the flat of a hand? It's the palm. What's the flat of a foot? 
it's the sole. So this appears to be a robe that reached to both the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet. The second concept in this Hebrew word is one of abundance or plenty. In other words, on this robe that reached to the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet, there was an abundance of something. An abundance of colored fabric? Possibly. An abundance of flowing cloth? Perhaps. An abundance of ornamentation such as filigree? Could be. The truth is, we just don't know. What we do know is that this ornate robe screamed, Special! Favorite son! Love more than you! Mark the robe and what it symbolized as Exhibit B. Back to the story. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Did you catch that? Who do you think the sun and moon represented? Mom and Dad. And who do you think the eleven stars bowing down to Joseph represented? The eleven brothers didn't need to ask. They knew it was them. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. The brothers were jealous because of Joseph's dreams and their meaning. Let's mark Joseph's dreams and their meaning as Exhibit C. No matter what made this ornate robe so special, Jacob had sent a clear message to his sons. He loved one son more than all the others, and they weren't going to put up with it. So they planned someday to deal with their little dreamer brother and his dream coat. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. For whatever reason, Joseph was living at the family homestead in Hebron. He wasn't tending flocks with his brothers up north. Jacob sent Joseph to Shechem to find out if all was well with the brothers and the flocks. So Joseph headed out on his 50-mile hike. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, he went out to the fields, but he couldn't find his brothers. Now there was a man there who came up to Joseph and asked him what he was looking for. I'm looking for my brothers. And then Joseph asked the man, can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? The man told Joseph that they had moved on. 
I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Dothan was a city located about 15 miles north of Shechem, so Joseph headed there. Now, let me share something with you that you might find interesting. The word Dothan means two wells. Both of these wells, probably better understood as cisterns that captured runoff water during the rainy season, are still in existence today. One of the wells is actually named the Pit of Joseph. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Something else happened in Dothan during Old Testament times, something miraculous. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 6 that Dothan was the home of the prophet Elisha. At that time, the king of Aram marched his army to Dothan and surrounded the city because he was looking for Elisha in order to kill him. The king didn't like the fact that Elisha kept telling the king of Israel where the Aramean army was camped. It was in Dothan that God opened the eyes of Elisha's servants so that he could see the horses and chariots of fire, angels, surrounding them. It was in Dothan that God struck the Aramean army with blindness at Elisha's request. And with the soldiers blind, Elisha was able to lead the entire army to the king of Israel. As they entered the city, Elisha prayed that the soldiers could once again see, and they did. Then, after feeding the army at Elisha's encouragement, the king of Israel sent them home. Well, Joseph found his brothers near Dothan. The brothers saw Joseph in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Uh, let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Reuben was the oldest son of Jacob and used his influence to prevent the murder of Joseph. Reuben had noble intentions in suggesting that they throw him into one of the two cisterns. He was thinking in his mind to come back later, pull Joseph out of the pit, and take him home to his father Jacob. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. With Joseph in the well, the brothers sat down to have dinner. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Judah came up with a new plan. Let's not murder him. After all, he's our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. 
What a coincidence this is. The, this caravan just happened to be coming down the road, providing an opportunity for the brothers. They wouldn't have to kill their little brother, just sell him as a slave. Human trafficking wasn't as bad as murder, was it? What a coincidence this is. Not. There are no coincidences in God's providence. That caravan came along at just the right time because the Lord God had a plan to save Jacob's family. Now, there's quite a bit to unpack here. First, let's examine the people in this caravan. Ishmaelites and Midianites. Both are mentioned in this account. So, are they synonymous? Some Bible scholars think so. Are they different groups of people? Well, other Bible scholars differentiate between the two. Let's, you and I, start with their origins. Ishmaelites were descendants of Ishmael, who was the son of Abraham and Hagar, who was Sarah's servant. Midianites were descendants of Midian, who was a son of Abraham and his wife Keturah. You see, Abraham had married Keturah after Sarah died. So the Ishmaelites and the Midianites were both descended from Abraham, but they were different groups of people. So why are both mentioned? One explanation comes as the result of how both groups are described. We just heard that they, the brothers, looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with stuff to trade and sell. You see, the camels were owned by the Ishmaelites. Then in the next verse we read, So when the Midianite merchants came by, the Midianites were described as the merchants, the ones who were selling the spices, balm, and myrrh. So it seems to me that the Ishmaelites were the freight company, and the Midianites were the merchants. Now, I might be wrong, but it makes sense to me. What do you think? Next, these merchants were coming from Gilead. So where's Gilead located, and what's significant about it? Gilead was a fertile mountainous region east of the Jordan River. The name Gilead means rocky region or hill country. North of Gilead was Bashan. South of Gilead was Moab and Amnon. When the promised land was divided up among the 12 tribes of Israel under Joshua many years later, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and a part of Manasseh received territory east of the Jordan River. They would largely receive the land of Gilead. The land of Gilead was known for its balm that came from a variety of trees, but one especially that was native to the region. It was a rosin-producing tree, and this rosin was used in medicine. Gilead was also the name of a great-grandson of Joseph. Now, now we're getting ahead of ourselves, but, but Joseph would have a son, Manasseh, whose descendants would inherit a part of the land of Gilead. Gilead may very well have been named after Joseph's great-grandson. There are quite a few references to Gilead and the city of Ramoth-Gilead in the Old Testament. Ramoth-Gilead was 
designated as a city of refuge during the time of Joshua. During the time of the judges, the judge Jephthah lived in Gilead and fought against the Ammonites who were harassing the people. When King Saul died, the people of Gilead at first supported Saul's son Ishbosheth as Saul's successor, but later they fully supported David as king. David's son Absalom, who led a coup against his father, camped in Gilead, and it's also where he died. Then, during the days of Israel as a nation, the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser invaded Gilead and deported the people of Gilead back to Assyria. Finally, there's a prophecy about Gilead in the book of the prophet Zechariah. Though I scatter them among the peoples, yet in distant lands they will remember me. They and their children will survive and they will return. I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them back from Assyria. I will bring them to Gilead and Lebanon, and there will not be room enough for them. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn in pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. In the book of Acts, during Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, we hear what was in the hearts of the brothers that led them to sell their brother into slavery. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. Now, Jacob had fueled their jealousy by treating Joseph as a favorite son and by giving him an ornate robe. And Joseph fueled his brother's jealousy by tattling on his brothers, by wearing that special robe in their presence, and by sharing his dreams with them. Jacob and Joseph both shared blame in fueling the jealousy of the brothers' hearts. It's a reminder to us of the dangers of giving preferential treatment to certain family members or friends or co-workers. Preferential treatment can drive a wedge into our relationships. The New Testament author James wrote, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. 
And yet at the same time, Joseph's brothers let their jealousy flame into a desire first to murder their brother and secondly to sell him into slavery. From their perspective, human trafficking was not as serious as murder. But listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy. He said, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Human trafficking is in the same category as murder. The actions of Joseph's brothers ought to be a reminder to us about what jealousy in our own hearts can lead to in our actions. But there's some good news here. Earlier I mentioned God's plan in all of this. Stephen, in his speech to the Sanhedrin, went on to say, But God was with Joseph and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. One day, Joseph would rescue his father and brothers from famine in the land. And that reminds us of the one who rescued us from the spiritual famine we've experienced. Joseph's descendant Jesus would be that rescuer. He would one day come to rescue us from sin, death, and our separation from God. It was all part of God's plan, and that plan was a success. You and I have been rescued. True Crimes, Bible Edition 2. Despite the criminal activity of people, God can use it to work out His plans. If you have any comments or questions regarding this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.